I welcome back Ryan Harlan and welcome on Mark Garland as we break down the Baton Rouge Regional. Let's get into it. Welcome to the Beaver Man Beat Podcast. Back to episode 30 of the Beaver Man Beat. What a way we've come and what a milestone episode to have on these two guests with me today. Ryan Harlan returns from Orange Media Network, as always, our student reporter. And then Mark Garland is joining the show for his first time. I'm very, very excited to have him on uh, from College Baseball Central. Uh, welcome to the show, guys. Oh, glad. Thank you for having me on. Let's get after it. Yeah, joked around with uh joked around the other day with uh, uh shout out shout out JP, you know, from Village Beeves. Uh <laughs> you know, he, he joked out, he's like, So what, are you a regular on the Beaverman beat podcast now? And I'm like, Look, like I explained to him what happened. I ran into him at the Western Carolina game in game two. <laughs> he was like, No, nah, like I get it. Like either, yeah. So it was kinda of, kinda of funny that you mentioned yeah big shout out to those guys last week uh they didn't have an episode thank they were all traveling they were out in minnesota uh so they sent some listeners my way so a big shout out and a very it's very very greatly appreciated uh so thank you to jp and the gang but yeah it's good to have you guys on it is like the most important time of the year for us college baseball fans um postseason baseball is repping the college baseball is rad now it's uh that's that that is the that is true so yeah, very, very excited to get to this one. We will talk very briefly to start on the kind of finale for the Pac-12 tournament for the Beavers, um, getting the two in the queue. Definitely not all what we wanted, but they did still maintain a two spot for a regional. We knew a hosting spot was going to be, dare I say, a miracle, even if they did manage to get to the Pac-12 tournament uh, semifinals or finals. But we have finally found where the Beavers are going to land, and we'll break all of that down with you today. A bit of a uh, postseason Bazana, if you will. <laughs> but we'll get into it. Obviously, the Beavs dropped Arizona game. We talked about that in the last episode. And then this most recent one was against Arizona State. Just one that the I think everything starts to play in a little bit. The season wears on you. The temperature down there in Scottsdale wears on you. Uh, and the factors didn't quite play out how they wanted to. Uh, I mean, what did you guys see? Overall, I mean, they just were missing pitching late. Like, it just they just didn't have the arms anymore. Uh, and down there in that heat, it's even tougher. And then you're talking about you're playing the Arizona schools who are used to it a little bit more, and they're playing in that heat where that ball travels so much more in that ballpark, too. It was just tough late. I mean, and realistically, when you look at it now, it wouldn't matter if the Beavs had won. They weren't advancing anyway in the Pac-12 tournament because Stanford was taking that last spot. So saving the pitching, kind of getting ready for the regional, and kind of knowing they were a two-seed. Even if they had won, they wouldn't have been a one-seed. Even if they had won the Pac-12, they wouldn't have gotten enough high enough RPI, in my opinion, now, looking at how the committee selected. They wouldn't have been in the host side anyway. Yeah, pretty much nailed it on the head there. I mean, pitching was the biggest thing. I know Canham today uh, and his presser, you know, did he did. I guess he did hear the criticisms of, you know, hey, you gave up 40 plus runs over the course of two games. Like, you know, not like, yeah, like he understands that pitching was the biggest thing. And, you know, having guys that were injured, uh, uh, Jaron Hunter and Kamath was a big deal. I've been in there and pretty much wanted to get, get probably get some guys some looks here early before before regionals uh but like you know did say yeah pitching was not up to par and the fact that we were weren't throwing really competitive pitches and all that but overall thought you know it was best for this team to kind of experience that headed into headed into uh regionals you know that loss of win go home mentality so i think they're they're gonna use that headed into friday's matchup for sure yeah, that's a really good point, and I think they were able to on uh, that first game there to kind of get away with 
we didn't see sellers. And I think that was just something that the beer fans are like, all right, maybe they're trying something new. Uh, maybe they're trying to rest his arms a little bit. Obviously, sellers is going to be on short rest there because he got the Saturday game in that final series. And then the next day when you saw that it wasn't Kamats, I think that was kind of like a, all right, what is going on? Are the Beavers trying to save pitching for getting to the semis, which I think would have been a bad decision there. But then it comes out a little bit later that Kamats is dealing with some injury stuff as well. So the pitching is, is going to be hurting going into the regional. And Mark, you kind of brought up a, a good point, an interesting point that I thought about, and I've heard some kind of murmurs on messaging boards about the the stadium there in Scottsdale. And with that, the temperatures obviously being what they are, and also the altitude coming into effect a little bit. I mean, you can tell just by watching the game, but then actually looking into it, A, the field feels just huge. It feels like the outfielders have to go way further to the right to the left, or even in, which you see a lot of those blue pits. Eventually, that's the one that kind of killed the Beavs against Arizona. There's only that one season left in Scottsdale. Do you foresee them jumping locations in anyway. I I could really see it if uh that stadium gets built in Vegas for the A's. I could see them changing to Vegas and having almost all their stadium state games in Vegas. It would not be a bad thing. One, it gets rid of any thought of being a home team. So now it's all neutral for everybody. Nobody plays there. Nobody has any opportunity to play down yeah. there in that uh facility. So it'd be a really good thing, I think. Uh I could see them moving to Vegas even before that stadium is built if they want to go down there and play in the 51s baseball stadium. I think that that could be a big option for them, yes. So I do see them moving away from Scottsdale. It's great. The facilities are awesome. They can house it there. I just see Vegas has kind of turned into that home for all Pac-12 sports. I see see that happening. And it seems like it's definitely headed that way. So, I mean, I'm all for that change, especially after seeing what's happened to the Beaters the last two years with just getting outscored this past weekend and then that brutal 23-21 to game against UCLA, which pretty much doomed the Beavers the next day against Stanford. So obviously wrapped up there, Oregon ends up winning the Pac-12 championship. Arizona faces them in the finals, and Arizona sneaks into the tournament above Arizona State, above USC. Mark, you kind of mentioned it earlier with how you mentioned even if the Beavers did win with their hosting in the RPI and how they favored on that. I feel like the question is not if you are surprised, but how surprised are you that Arizona State and USC got got excluded with Arizona during State. during the live show when we did our live show during the reveal? I was I was livid. I was upset. USC is the first team in Pac-12 to have 17 wins in conference and not make the tournament. That's ridiculous to go 17 and 13 and not make it is out absolutely outrageous. And they had a winning record overall. So you're talking about a team that played good baseball. They did the things. They went on the road and played Auburn. They did these games. They, they did what they were supposed to do for the committee's eyes. But the RPI on the West Coast was so much worse that it cost Arizona State and USC. And when you look at overall, UC Irvine, same exact vote. They were all in the same boat here where the RPI killed them. And teams like Mississippi State had a better RPI and were horrible this year. It should have never been even close. RPI is broken. They need to fix it. But ultimately, that's what killed Arizona State and USC, unfortunately. I mean, especially with the USC, the Beavers in 2021 were 16 and 14 in the Pac-12 and got, I believe they were still a three seed in Fort Worth, but they still made a regional regardless. So yeah, to see a USC kind of drop it that way. And then for, to see the chairman explaining that it was the margin of victory for the Arizona and Arizona State games as the reason for that Arizona State got excluded from the tournament, I don't know, seems like a weak argument in my high school. Oh yeah. You know what was even weaker was saying that, oh yeah, the reason why we didn't even consider UC Irvine was. They did the right thing. Yeah. It's just like, are you kidding me? Like, the reaction I had to that was, you know, the scene from Futurama where Bender's like, oh, wait, you're serious. Let me laugh even harder. That was that was my reaction. 
Oklahoma yeah. got in with a losing Big 12 record. Big 12 was not good this year. Oklahoma goes 11 and 13 in the Big 12 this year. And somehow they say that that 31 and 26 team is better than both Arizona State and USC. I don't, I didn't see it. I was very frustrated when it came down to it. Yeah. I said six Pac 12 teams would get in. When five got in, I was furious. And Garrett Forrester today said seven should have gotten. <laughs> that's what I was about to argue. Yeah. I, I yeah. couldn't see them leave Arizona yeah. off because the 12 wins in Pac 12 really hurt them. But the committee liked how they were playing late and their RPI jumped all the way to 45. And that's ultimately what got them in. The committee really looked at you had to be in the top 50 in RPI to even have a chance in this postseason. And it's funny, I even look at some of these. I mean, I think Wake Forest kind of got shafted in their, their pool a little bit. There's some tough teams in there. And it seems that it is just that RPI. Maybe, correct me if I'm wrong, that is why, because UConn is the two seed in that. Uh, Maryland's the two seed. Uh, region. Maryland's the two seed. Maryland, who won, but the, those who won the Big Ten and has the number one offense yeah. in the country. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting to see how they how they went about it. But so I guess when on that Monday when we were all watching, I mean, I know mine as I was watching there in bed on my phone. The second I saw LSU pop up at five, I immediately knew that Oregon State was going to be slotted into that regional. Um, I thought maybe Arkansas. I thought maybe some other SC school, Vanderbilt, maybe which Oregon ended up going to. But what were your guys' reactions to seeing the draw and seeing Oregon State place in Baton Rouge? Oh, I had I had my phone blowing up from all my LSU and Arkansas followers asking which one are going to go to. <laughs> I, I really, I, I, the committee loves drama, right? So they set this up on purpose every year. They want the teams yeah. out there that are going to cause the most drama and cause the most TV ratings. Oregon State to LSU or Arkansas was a given. Like it felt like that was what was going to happen this year with Oregon State locking themselves in as a two seed. They were going to get sent to one of those two schools, and it kind of just depended on where they're going. Uh, Oregon going out to Vanderbilt also, again, they've been out there before. So they, that was kind of like a given once they were going to be a two seed. But Oregon State getting sent to LSU, that just felt like destiny. It felt like it was going to happen, and, and and I'm not surprised by it at all. Sam Houston getting the three seed, though, that was a little different for me in my thoughts. Do you think they deserve higher? I thought Sam Houston would be a low two because they played really good ball this year, and they have a huge offense. Uh, they have a ton of offense. They, they don't have a lot of pitching. But that team can hit with anybody in the country, uh, and then seeing them go down to two was uh, or down to three in that regional was kind of tough. Yeah, that kind of jumped off to me earlier. And once we get into kind of breaking all the teams down, I pulled up all their stat sheets, and I mean, two lanes is very clear. It shows that they are a nineteen and forty ball club. But Sam Houston's, I mean, of their qualified hitters, I think six of the eight are all batting above three hundred. And so uh, Contreras, who is a top prospect in the MLB, is one of the guys under three hundred. Like, so you're talking about a guy who is an MLB draft candidate, and he's one of the guys that's not hitting 300. So it's really, there's a ton of talent there. Jeez. Oh, my goodness. That's, that's, what, <laughs> that's what worries me headed into, headed into Friday. That, that's the biggest part that worries me. Like, I've already said it to people uh, when I saw, saw that matchup and kind of looking through everything. I was like, this is a little worrying, but, like, if, you know, the bullpen can do a job, then that's not a big issue. But I know for, uh, at least for Sam Houston, they're, they're starting their Saturday guy on Friday. So they're, they're going to be shorthanded with their eighth. So let's we'll see how take advantage of that. that but I, yeah, like Mark said, like a lot of that was just the drama part. When I saw LSU, I was like, Oh, here we go. Here we go again. <laughs> of course. Thanks to so, we didn't have yeah. any of the uh, the waiting there like Arizona fans did or the Arizona team did. I mean, waiting what they were the sixty third team uh, team called. So thankfully we knew we were in. 
But yeah, as soon as I saw Baton Rouge, I was like, yeah, this is this is where they're headed. The Bees have only played it once down in Baton Rouge in a regional. That was in 2012. Uh, they went two and two, both losses coming to LSU. I think they won, lost one, and then lost. And then obviously the uh, 2019 regional when LSU came to Corvallis, the Beavers took, or 2018 regional, the Tigers came to Corvallis and the Beavers took care of them easily, winning 12-0 and 14-1 to move on to the Supers and eventually go on to win the College World Series. So, hey, maybe that's the road. Maybe that's the road there. They are paired up with the Lexington Regional uh, University of Kentucky. Won't jump too much into that regional, but I guess, Mark, can you just give us a quick overview and then who you see coming out of that? And if you see anybody but Kentucky coming out of that? Uh, I don't see Kentucky coming out of that regional at all. I think that Kentucky probably should not have hosted. I was pretty vocal about that, not putting them in my top 25 for a lot of this year. Lexington, (laughs) they they play a lot of small ball. So they're one of the only SEC teams. They led the SEC in bunts, sack bunting and stolen bases. They kind of play small ball versus what everybody else does. Their stadium is fairly large compared to other SEC stadiums. Uh, Ball State is a tough match as that four seed. Indiana is a very good three seed. And West Virginia is probably the best two seed uh, going down south somewhere. So we're talking about a two seed that could have been a one seed had they just taken care of business in the Big 12 tournament. West Virginia, I think, is the team to beat in that regional, though. I don't think it's Kentucky. I think that uh, West Virginia is the team to beat. I don't, did you guys see any of the news that Kentucky and Lexington, they have no hotels? So yes. they're making all the people stay yeah. warm lane. They get yeah. like one 55-inch yeah. TV per floor. Yeah. And they're charging like them, too, which is kind of kind of ridiculous. They yeah. Which, which, yeah, yeah, like, oh yeah, that reminded me of the the complaints from Auburn fans in the Super Regional about about that. It's like, sorry, like a bunch of events are going on all at once. You know, everybody's moved out. You know, the dorms like they're not going to accommodate. You know, you guys in there. It's like, you know, like it just kind of happened to be when this. You know, when you guys came in, this was all going on. Oregon State was undeniably a national seed last year. Where, to Mark's point, Kentucky could not have hosted, and they could have avoided this whole fiasco, and I could only imagine the atmosphere of a regional and or super in Morgantown, um, which I think would be... Oh, it would be... Oh, it would be great. It would be a great atmosphere. I know. I know that for sure. I I have some friends that that go to... I'm getting a bit ahead of myself here. Yeah. No. (laughs) If, uh, If West Virginia wins that regional, if Oregon State escapes out of Baton Rouge... Uh, both of those schools place bids to the NCAA to host a super. Do we see ESPN favoring Oregon State to get, give them another West Coast time zone, seeing this, uh, assuming Stanford is advancing? Or is that something that they try and keep everything on, keep all their crew out on the East Coast and give it to West Virginia? Or is that even how that process works? They're trying to say that it's RPI driven. So it's supposed to be the next highest RPI is who the host is supposed to be. Now, if West Virginia didn't put in for a bid, though, then they're, they're not going to have a chance at it. So you have to put in for a bid before regionals are selected so that you can be vetted and be ready for that. Corvallis obviously did. Oregon State does. They The committee knows that Oregon State can host. I could see them putting it out in Corvallis if Oregon State wins just because they are ready to host. And I think yeah. that West Virginia coming over, that would be the, the better move for college baseball. People don't really care if it's in Morgantown, even though people in Morgantown love it. I mean, it'd be yeah. great for West Virginia baseball. But yeah. nationally, it'd be bigger if they had to come to Corvallis and play at Goss Stadium. God, I got my fingers crossed. Now, I, I knew I shouldn't get ahead of myself. I knew because now I'm yeah. watching all these games. I emailed this to my boss. Sorry about lack of work this week. 
that uh, this is my March Madness. This is I love March Madness. Don't get me wrong, but but this tournament is special and it deserves more more national recognition. Yeah, I call I call Monday my Super Bowl. So when Selection Monday comes out, and I'm you know we do our live show and then we go on other podcasts and stuff. It's the best day of the year for me. It, it's literally better than Christmas when that bracket comes out. And I get to talk about all this baseball. So <laughs> it's terrific here. But I do not think that Kentucky should have hosted. But we'll we'll get into that when it happens. Yeah. Uh, so jumping in now to the Baton Rouge regional more closely, uh, looking around at these three teams, uh, LS was the number one team in the nation for 90% of the season. Uh, they lost, I think, their last or second to last SEC tournament or we, SEC regular season weekend and then went into the tournament and just coming up short in the tournament losing. Was it the championship game that they lost in Hoover? Uh, they lost before that. They lost in the second round. In the second round. They lost to A&M in the last last double limit. That's right. So they they look the part pulling up their stuff. I mean, the the biggest name that I think you need to look out for, Beaver fans tuning in, is going to be Paul Skeens. He is the best pitcher in the country, flat out. He's got a sub-2 ERA, which for the college game and where it's at, an offensive-minded with probably juiced baseballs. I don't want to make allegations, but Garrett Forster hit one like 500 feet in Corvallis, which raises eyebrows <laughs> to me. Um, but that is just wildly impressive. I'm assuming, I know he's a Golden Spikes finalist, along with two other Tigers players. Or not finalists, but uh, they, haven't, they haven't cut it down to finals. Semi-finals. The semi-finals, yep. Yeah. This is a tough team. Yeah, now looking at Paul Skeens' dad, you look what I do these. I look for numbers to jump off the page, and then I see Paul Skeens in every one of the jumps off the page. I I was looking at that earlier today. I was like, uh, the loud reaction I have in the office. I was like, everybody was looking at me. They're like, she, she you go, <laughs> like, yeah, he's got a, a one point. I, I can't believe what I'm yeah, seeing. Exactly, like, it's all like, video games. Something out of MLB the show. ERA over ninety in the third innings. Over that 90 and a third, he struck out 167 batters and only walked 17. 1.8 strikeouts. To, yeah, 1.8 strikeouts per inning. That is He's almost two guys every inning. And yeah, we, were, yeah, we had the fortune of interviewing him uh, before the season started. Just a nice kid. And you just saw in his eyes, though, the kid wants to win. That's why he went to LSU from Air yeah. Force. And my goodness, I think he could go to the bigs today and get lineups out i think he could go out there and get you well, seeing ben joyce go out there and you in this past week was something <laughs> every pitch these college kids are not that far off now the, the training that they receive and the facilities that they have it's better than most minor league ballparks now and that's something to watch for with this tournament uh wait like, go feed him up being i was like being empty um so uh dirt so at the prep mail the other day and Garrett Garrett Forrester was talking about him and what I learned was apparently during his transfer portal process, which I had no idea about, uh, that he came here to Corvallis and he he and Garrett had talked a bit and gave a great, you know, <laughs> great scouting report too during the during the presser. He was like, Yeah, throw guy throws cheddar, like not much more I can say other than that and you know, I kinda had to remind him like, Hey, before you get to, you know, you know, he's like, hopefully they save up, save him for us. Uh, you know, if we advance, so I'm like, hey man, like, before you get there, you know, you gotta go through, you gotta go through Houston first. And he was like, oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> but uh, no, it was a really cool little tidbit that he shared. If you there. Sam Houston, you will probably avoid skeins for 
the weekend, barring if you get to like that double elimination, a second game, and LSU's up by one in the ninth. I could see them, um, similar to how the Beavers used Jerpy last year against Vanderbilt. But then you beat or play Tulane, and then probably Sam Houston again if they are throwing schemes. And then if you get through that, then you got your two shots at LSU. Obviously no easy task, but maybe do a little reversal as what the, the Tigers did to the Beavs in the 2017 College World Series. Um, so it's going to be tough, though, because at the same time, if you play four games in four days, or maybe even five games, you've got kind of inundated pitching. <laughs> at that point, you'd be really... Uh, Ryan, like we were talking about before we started recording, you might uh, find yourself out there on the bump at Alex Box. Yeah, I mean, hey, like hey, like I said, Cannon heck the call, man. Like, you know, I'll throw probably what? At least maybe... You got a mean brace in one hand. If I'm being honest... Yeah, <laughs> got enough, got enough spin on that. But so. yeah, LSU, I mean, that is just the beginning, just looking at Paul Skeens. Uh, they've also, if you look at the, the offensive side of things here, uh, the big bats, um, Dylan Cruz is batting 420 on the season, just absolutely tearing the cover off the ball. He's on base percentage is above 560. So it's almost, I mean, it is yeah. literally the majority of the time he's getting on base when he comes up to the plate. Um, Tommy White just below 500, but he is going to be their home run guy. Tommy Tanks, most of you are probably more familiar with him as. Um, he is battling a little bit of an injury bug, but it sounded like Jay Johnson said he's good to go in an interview. But yeah, he's going to play. Yeah, he's going to play whether it's DH or if they put him at third, he's he's going to be in the lineup. They said uh, he's 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 good to go. That's the kind of scares point. me. He's going to have like a Tim Elko type run where Elko's playing on like a, a ruptured ACL and literally only hit home runs. <laughs> it was wildly impressive. Is that two, two or three years ago? Yeah. Yes. Dylan Cruz, I mean, people don't realize he's going to be the number one pick. The Pirates have basically already said they're going to select him number one. There's that there's no reason. It's Dylan Cruz or bust. As much as I love Paul Skeens, Dylan Cruz can change an MLB team tomorrow. That's how good this kid is at the plate. And you're talking about a guy who's got an OPS of over 12, like 1.28. What do you, I mean, that's for a college kid, that's just ridiculous. He's slugging 710, his on base percentage is 567. So, my goodness, he's really tough. He at one point he had a 50 plus game on base streak. He's just, he's everything that you want in a, an outfielder at this level. And then you throw in Tommy White, who hits right behind him and has 20 bombs. So, it's really just tough to see looking at this lineup that there's not a ton of holes there. Um, they're one of the only teams in the country that has more double digit home run. And even Cruz has 15. He's not that far behind Tommy White there. Um, yeah. Yeah, he's played in every single game this weekend. Yeah. Tommy White and Dylan Cruz, literally the Bash Brothers, literally the modern-day Bash Brothers. Like, although Mississippi State friends are, are going to come at me for that one. <laughs> but yeah, looking especially down this whole lineup, it, it just doesn't look like it gets easy at all. I w- we'll ask, uh, Mark, what is the deal with Hayden Travinsky? Because he's batting four twenty six, but he's... Only reason he played in like the second half of the season, mainly for the Tigers. So he was filling in for basically everybody that was injured. He would go play that position. So he's kind of their utility guy. Um, he wasn't really ever slated to start. Like Alex Mazzano had a chance to behind the dish and he had his chance to start. Travinsky was never really slated to start at any point this season, but he's taking care of business when he's got those opportunities. So he started 15 games. He's played in 31 and Jay Johnson's not afraid to put him out there when he wants that matchup. So when he looks at the right pitching matchup for him, he's going to throw him out there. Guy's slugging 838. So he's slugging better than the rest of the team right now and is doing it in limited opportunities. The guy is very good. He's only got 68 at-bats this year, so it's a small sample size. 
but Jay Johnson's not afraid to use him when he needs to. Yeah, I saw that earlier, and I went and looked at his stats page and like to see what games he was playing. I was like, maybe it was early on and he's been injured, and I was really confused looking at the games he's been playing in because it's like once a weekend, once a weekend, once a weekend, and then two times a weekend for when you're getting cruised and it's played in every single game. I'm like, usually you would think they're kind of main run guys would be out there, but yeah, what well, that's kind of just a testament to the lineup. Him, Brady Jobert, Paxton Kling, those guys kind of all just kind of shuffle in just because they can be used in different lineups and they've all had dinged up injuries this year. Hayden Hayden could be the guy that they're going to lean to on the bench. They might keep him on the bench, just be able to bring him in when they want to in big situations. Possibly, you know, anytime they need a big hit from somebody, they might bring him in to pinch hit because they have those extra guys that can come in the field. Uh, and replace them at catcher, especially. So yeah, that LSU team uh, looks dangerous. They've earned the the national seed. Looking at those numbers, it's hard to believe that that just gets them five in the country. But it is kind of a testament to some of the teams that are up there at the top, and they've been consistent and showing it all year long. And Sam Houston State is another one of those teams that we mentioned earlier. Surprise, they fell to a three. And you look at the offensive numbers, and they're similar. They're nothing crazy. No batters hitting uh, hubs. No, that was a total assumption. I was going to say no matter it's hitting 420, but Tyler Davis is higher than that at 432. I was going to say, and, and people who don't know their second-best hitter, Joe Redfield, he could be Big 12 Player of the Year if he had played at Oklahoma State or if he had played at Texas this year. That's how good this kid is. And they have two guys hitting over 400 in this lineup, and that they really get after the baseball. And with uh, the depleted pitching staff of the Beavers and the depleted pitching staff of Sam Houston at a small ballpark at Alex Box, that's what I was wondering last. When I switch over from the batting stats to the pitching stats, um, it is almost night and day. You've got your lowest ERA over there coming in at a little over four, and then followed, uh, these are eligible numbers, which is one inning per game, the Stephen Beard with 5.35. Uh, so I expect a slugfest on, on Friday night. Yeah, their starting pitching did not really have a very successful season as far as ERA is considered. Uh, both their biggest starters there in uh, Atkinson and Beard both struggled. Uh, they both got hit around a little bit. The bullpen numbers are better than you would think from a team that has a lot of innings from those guys in the bullpen there. You have a lot of guys that had 20-plus appearances out of the bullpen because that starting lineup really didn't go very far. Those starting rotation didn't move very far. So uh, they're going to be a team that mixes in a lot of guys. They're not afraid to throw six, seven, eight guys in a game. Uh, they're fine with that if they can go out there and get the W with their offense. Mark, what, I guess, do you know anything about uh, Braden Davis a little bit in terms of their another so, left-handed uh, pitcher on the staff? For he was coming off of some shoulder stiffness. He had limited innings, but the okay. guy is very talented. They just don't know if they can get like a full start out of him. So what they've been using him is in long relief situations, and sometimes he's been able to get that Sunday start. But yeah. he might be the best arm that they have in the bullpen right now, or they might start him if they have to. If they go to a fourth game, they're going to have to use him more than they want to. Uh, but he's a guy that has a lot of arm talent. He's just been dealing with a little bit. Ryan, who was it that you mentioned earlier? Do you know who on that Sam Houston squad yeah. is getting the nod on Friday night? So that would be, Steven yeah, Bears Steven, Steven Bears, yeah. Yeah, because yeah, cause I know McDowell mentioned that they were, um, that who they're like preparing for, at least. I know they're all scouting. Uh, position players are all scouting a particular pitcher, but that that's that's who McDowell mentioned or uh, in uh, in the presser. And then in terms of our lineup, it's going to be Sellers, Ferrer, and then likely AJ Lattery or Ian Lawson uh, on that third yeah. day. And I think that's the right. I was talking about. Uh, Cannon came out and said it. 
in salary to Friday. Um, but I, he's your best guy. If he's on, he gives you very, very, very big shot to win that Bucks ball game. The thing is, he's one of the few starting rotation beavers that misses barrels a lot. Uh, he can get you the strikeout when he has to in that big situation, which is what you have to do against this hitting lineup. He might give up a few runs, but he'll also save you some by getting the strikeouts that you need. He might not be able to go more than five innings, but at least he puts you in that ball game there and gives you that chance early. I would not be surprised to see Keljo throw a lot, too. Uh, go to and I love that. I, there's something about Keljo that I think he is going to be stellar uh, over his course of his career here at Oregon State. Um, so I'm, I'm going to be very excited to see him get some run. Um, I was thinking about it earlier today looking at numbers and it almost gave me like a tinge of like Christian Chamberlain, but probably like plus a foot, uh, someone, a lefty that could just come out and throw gas. And he, that game against Minnesota in the 2018 regional or super regional, he just mystified that offense. So it would be, um, I would love to see him come out and have a start like that or not, you know, a start, but an appearance like that somewhere along the way in the regional here. Yeah, I said he looks like a sophomore version of Chamberlain. Like he's right there. He needs to put on a little bit of weight, I think. But that height and that length is just going to be huge for him in future starts. I think if he puts on 10, 15 pounds this offseason, you're looking at a potential third day, you know, Sunday so, start. So has already played LSU this year. They did lose 16 to 4. That was way back in February. So take that with what you may. Uh, and then as well as familiar opponents, they also had a run in with Washington. This year, or no, I'm sorry, that was Tulane. And Tulane took a game over Washington. So getting into this Tulane team, a really interesting Tulane. season here. I guess you got to give the hand like their neutral sites where they played best, but also a 19 and 40. And then they just went on an absolute run and won a conference tournament that features some really impressive teams, ECU being one and Houston being another. They decided to play baseball two weeks ago. They're like, hey, remember how we play baseball, guys? Uh, they got rid of their coach. This is a brand new interim guy. They're trying to win ball games as much as they can. And then they decided two weeks ago, hey, we, we can still play baseball. We, we remember how to do this a little bit. And that was full team effort. Yeah, beating Houston no, and East Coast. Because even was no easy into that shit, like they're coming off series losses to two teams in Houston and Memphis. And then they go and beat them, those two teams, in the tournament to get to ECU and put ECU away. That's a testament to where they're at. But like I said earlier, kind of jump in their numbers it's almost just like a complete difference from what we've been talking about with these two offenses. You've got a couple guys batting up there in the low 300s, high 200s, and then really a bit of a drop-off there. Um, and pitching kind of seems to be the same where there's nobody really jumping out too much at you as somebody can jump out and just come and shut you down. This team, I don't know about Ryan, but I'll speak for it, the fact that this two-lane team doesn't scare me at all. Uh, it's a great story. They deserve to be here. They've done exactly what they were supposed to do. They're being sent here to be lambs at the slaughter. Unfortunately, I don't think that this two-lane team can really battle offensively with any of the three teams in this regional. This is not a pitching and defense regional. This is offense, and and they don't really fit the bill here. Yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah. Margo and Sam Boat. I I think it's just you know a nice little hey you did you did what you know this is your reward for winning your conference tournament. Uh, unfortunately, it's against you know Oregon State, LSU, and Sam Houston. At least they gave it so to it's like community. good luck. Like that's like so, basically yeah. what the committee said by pairing them up in the in the three But yeah, exactly. It was a travel yeah. thing. They're like, hey, you're close. Yeah, we'll go. Yeah, it was either going to be them or Nichols, and so then it came down to yeah. Tulane was right there, and they're like, okay, we'll put Tulane in the LSU because Nichols already played two uh, LSU yeah. this year. Yeah, I'm, I'm so gonna swap it up and put Tulane. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, they don't really scare me. I mean, I know they're getting hot, you know, right then, but it's like, eh, you know, looking at the matchup, I'm like, eh, 
it's just, it's just, yeah. It's, I don't, and so I would think like kind of even Oregon State, and just you know, matches up again in lane in the result. Oregon State, Ryan, on the easily. a little bit, you were there um, for the press conferences today. Um, anything that kind of jumped off to you uh, from anything that Mitch was saying or anything that you learned there today at the press conference? I mean, I dropped a little bit of nuggets kind of here, here and there from what I learned. Obviously, what the lineup is going to be headed into the regional for pitching, uh, who's going to be out. Of course, um, no changes there. Kamats is out, uh, as well as um, Jaron Hunter, too. They're both out. Uh, Canham basically, I think, really did hear a lot of um, a lot of the kind of talk after the Pac-12 tournament, saying, you know, wasn't really wasn't really pleased. I, he sounded a bit pissed off, actually. Uh, is the tone I got from him, which. I've seen Canem get heated in a game, like, you know, and this is, you know, of course, competition, but, like, this was uh, very much something that you heard, and he said, look, like, yeah, like, we didn't do a great job, especially on the pitching side of things, but, like, at the same time, this wasn't an us issue. This was an entire team issue of everybody that played throughout the tournament, giving up double-digit runs uh, in every single game, uh, and that stadium is just good for offense in general so it's gonna happen no matter what uh but really kind of you know it was like yeah we like this team we like where we're at felt really confident in the team's ability to go down to Baton Rouge and compete in this tournament against uh LSU Tulane uh and Sam Houston so he he liked he likes what he has um I think it's just you know, really much something of like you did hear a lot of the a lot of the talk coming out of coming out of the um tournament and was very much um you know, knowing like, yeah, we're gonna be a two seed, not a where we're gonna go. Yeah, in uh who we're competing against. Mark, I actually feel like a ball I really care about in the same way I just with the beat, beat writers dealing with all of the Oregon State fans that you write for the country. So I can only imagine how many people come to you um uh, talking about their team and their pitching coach or this, that or the other. <laughs> Um, but yeah, and I good for Canem. I'm saying that because it is something that kind of gets out of control, and that's thing that for this team to make the tournament every year is something in itself. Uh, and I firmly believe that this is the hardest championship to win in college sports, uh, right up there with the women's college world series. Kind of that same idea that you can go in any day, and anybody can really come out victorious. And Tulane's a great example. They went in as, uh, I mean, what were they going into the tournament? Probably 14 and 40. Yeah, they were the seventh seed, the lowest seed ever to win the American Conference. Like, it just happens. You just show up. Baseball, you have to play all nine innings. You have yeah. to show up every single day. UCLA yeah. goes out there and puts 17 on Washington. So if we're starting to pick on pitching staffs, everybody in that tournament, the Pac-12, gave up runs. So when people were calling and yelling about Dor- Dorman, I'm like, mm-hmm. you guys don't even understand the job he's done with these young arms and getting these guys ready. And they've dealt with so many injuries this year, yeah. just dinged up arms and dead arm. Uh, it's sad to hear that Kamats is not going to throw now. And uh, Jaron, I knew he was out, and that's just – they really had to put a huge strain on a lot of the freshmen once Jaron went down. It's good, I think, overall for these kids to get these opportunities that they probably would not have had. UCLA uh, but it also put a lot of pressure on these guys. UCLA was playing for fun at that point. Yeah. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, and I said on the bed last episode, he says like, "Who knows how that game will go? Washington needs to win, and UCLA is playing and packing their bags and going home. They probably showed up to the stadium with all their bags packed, <laughs> and it was uh, yeah, and and 
Oregon State fans that are worried about Paul Skeens. Yes, he, he he's elite. He is the best pitcher in the country this year. He's only thrown one complete game, guys. And that bullpen for LSU is suspect. Oregon State is very good about taking pitches. They have a lot of guys with high on-base percentage and high IQ at the plate. Taking pitches, getting after Skeens a little bit. If you can get him out in the sixth inning, fifth inning, that ball game is still wide open. The Beavers have scored so many runs in the seventh, eighth, and ninth innings this year that I, I don't really feel any fear other than, yes, Paul Skeens is great. It's going to be awesome to watch him throw. He is not the full answer there for LSU. And yes, they're very and good that is, games. And that has been their down games game. that he's pitched as well. Yeah. It's not like he's been undefeated. With, with them, and most recently, has been their bullpen's kind of fallen apart a little bit. So it'll be interesting to see how Jay yeah, kind of has done a starter yeah. there throughout the regional and, and if they do move on. Well, they, and they've got arm issues too. They've got lots of guys. So Chase Shores was one of the best prospects in the country. He goes down. Uh, and then they lose Garrett Edwards. You know, they had guys that were in the sub two ERAs. And both of them got hurt out of the bullpen, and now they don't have those arms anymore. You know, they've had to switch over and have Thatcher Hurd come back from injury, who was transferred from UCLA. You know, he might start the Friday game. They might start him over Ty Floyd in that Friday game. They have not, Jay Johnson has not decided whether he's going to go with Ty Floyd or uh, Thatcher Hurd in that Friday game. So you don't know which one of those two is going to go. It's probably not going to be schemes, though. Yeah, that, that, that was my gun feeling, too. And I think Forrester kind of alluded to it today a little bit. He was like, yeah, I kind of hope they. They stay them for us. Um, that that's for sure. But yeah, definitely like speaking on the thing of Dorman, it was like I understand the frustration that a lot of fans had. In which I get, like, I mean, I know, you know, you don't expect to give up that many runs and have a quick exit out of the Pac twelve tournament, but at the same time it's like that's baseball. Anything can happen. And that's that that's in a nutshell. It's like I understand the high expectations that surround this team, but it's like the team's already, you know, the team was going to be locked into an NCAA tournament spot, at least a two seed in any regional, no matter what after that. So it's the, the, the complaints were a little out of, a little out of line. I mean, I get it, but at the same time, it was a bit out of line uh, too, where I was kind of just sitting there looking at everybody kind of like saying, you know, the whole fire dormant thing. I'm like, that's a bit of an overreaction you, right there. You, Ryan. And it's, it's it's not warranted. It's like okay, if you do right, like oh. hypothetically speaking, yeah. who's gonna replace it? Who do you have? <laughs> Nobody. Exactly. Yeah, but, but yeah, but, but yeah, like that 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 was my whole my whole reaction to that afterwards. It was yeah, I was pretty much like yeah, pump the brakes. I I mean I kind of I have had to say that even in a even in a um even in a mailbag I've had to say that like hey look like a lot of it like yeah I understand that you were complaining about the early struggles even this season. But that's baseball. It, it's just teams get better over the course of time. It's just like, you know, I that's why I hold my expectations low for every team, whether I cover a team or whether I'm a fan of a team. Up now. I always keep it low. In the queue, in the Pac-12 tournament, and whether that took a toll on you last year, I mean, I'm sure it had to have, to a some extent, playing in some of those, I mean, basically a whole extra game yeah. um, down there in Scottsdale in the Pac-12 tournament. So maybe it was kind of a blessing to go through if it didn't really affect their seating, like we were saying, and I think you guys are both spot on that win or lose, they're a two seat coming out of there. Uh, so it's it's yet to be seen, but what in your guys' opinions do you think the Beavers need to do to come out of this regional in Baton Rouge and possibly, like we hinted out earlier, bring bring baseball back to Corvallis for one more weekend? Uh, the, the offense has really been the key. So that was my big takeaway from the Pac-12 tournament and the end of the season was the offense started coming back to life. And that's the offense we need to see. It's going to be warm. 
going to be really nice down there in LSU. There might be a little bit of rain over the weekend, but it's, it's, it's a hot rain. This team hits better in warm weather, and they hit better in small stadiums. Mm-hmm. It's both that combination there for this offense. I think that it, it starts with Bazana and then Forrester being really good about taking pitches and getting after it. They're going to be in a slug fest with this Sam Houston. I'd be shocked with this game. Somebody doesn't reach double digits. It might be a race to 10 in this game uh, just because both these teams can hit. And I really like what the Beavers are doing right now with their approach at the plate. Five players over double-digit home runs. This is the most home runs the Beavers have ever hit in a season at 79. This team is offensively built, and this ballpark helps them, and this regional helps them with the lack of pitching from everybody except for Paul Skeets. There's one pitcher in the whole regional that's really good. Everybody else is, you know, mid, and you're talking about a hitter's ballpark with a bunch of hitters. That's what I see. This offense has to stay hot and really keep attacking the baseball. Oh, yeah, no, for sure. Offense is going to be the, is going to be the key. Um, I know Gavin Turley started a resurge a little bit there, had a hot start of the season, had that slump, now kind of found it. And really, like, what, what he said after Western Carolina was he pretty much was simplifying his approach at the plate. And just kind of you know, taking those pitches and when they when they come, you know, if it's something in the dirt, not swinging at it, you know, kind of just saying, okay, how's this guy, you know, going to, you know, tag me here at the play, kind of doing everything and simplifying that approach down to where, you know, he's able to hit the ball effectively. And I mean, you know, had had a great performance in that final final home series um, at Goss. So, you know, I I, I think he's going to be big. To, uh, in that lineup, along with, yeah, I think that was a huge thing with for him to not only do that against Western Carolina, but to carry up, but they're going to be hugely important in winning those games. Obviously, he had a blistering hot start to the year, and then Pac-12 play happened, and he cooled way down. And then he faces another team that traditionally you would play at the beginning of the season, a weak non-conference opponent, and he goes back to being scorching hot. And I think that thought there was everyone was feeling like, okay, he can hit these lower Division One teams. Let's see him do it now in a conference game or against better divi- or better opponents. And then he went out and put holes in the left field fence all day on Wednesday uh, and, and then played well and had some good at-bats the next day. So um, I, I like where he's at, and I think he'll be a big part as well as this entire offense is to get going. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think you guys are, are right on. It's going to be an entire slugfest out there. Um, for those of you not in Oregon, the over is going to be something to to look for a lot, and uh, or I guess if you're going in person to Spirit Mountain or one of the casinos out there, you can do it. But oh yeah, that weather too. By the way, that that's that's no joke. Is like that that humidity is going to be going to be brutal down there. Um, I mean, I know I haven't dealt in deep South maybe, or I'm originally originally from Virginia before coming out here. Uh, so it's like I know I know what that humidity is like. It's hot. It's, it's not. It's, it's hot. It's sticky. It's, it's gross. Hot. Uh, they'll have to get used to it, though. And I really, looking at it here, Mikey Kane and Mason Guerra could play big roles here because I think that teams are not going to attack Bazana and they're not going to try to attack Forrester because those two guys have proven what they can do. Uh, I think it's going to come down to guys like Guerra and Mikey Kane who are really going to have to step up and be elite to to, to win the regional. Those guys are going to have to make a difference. Uh, they can't disappear. Honestly. Like, they, like Guerra has a little bit this season in certain series. And then he comes out and he goes you know, five or six with two home runs. That's the same. What's all this name? He kind of comes out of show up. Very small sample size, but Tice Peterson against Arizona both times has <laughs> just come out and played really well. Um, Brady Casper's had some games where he plays very, very well. And he's also had some games where he wears a sombrero back to the dugout. So 
um, it's it's going to be tricky and it's going to be piecing all those things together and driving in runs when you have the opportunities because like you guys noted, it's it's going to be a race to see who can score the most. So taking advantage of those, all those opportunities and, and getting to the bullpen, especially early in the regional, is going to be big for not only the Beavers, but any team in this regional and most regionals around the country, honestly. So with that being said, I will take some predictions from you guys for the regional. Uh, we'll go uh, best performer and, and then who's got for the Beavers and then who do you have winning the regional? Um, and this is something that I'm going to start with you guys because I still got to make up my mind here. Uh, so uh, Ryan, if you went first and then we'll go Mark and then we'll, we'll finish up here. Uh, I got I to make up, I got to make up my mind for this. I, I got to think. Um, I, I, I'm going to stick with my producer. Mark. I think that this falls on Mason Guerra. If, if he can have the weekend that he has had in certain series this year, he could be the difference maker for this team. Cause you know, Bazan is going to get on base. He's going to do the things that he does. You know that Forrester is going to take walks. Even if he doesn't get the hits this weekend, he'll take the walks. He'll get on base also. Uh, I think McDowell is a nice piece, but he's not the guy you lean on to say, this is the guy that has to carry us. Mason is my pick. I, I think Mason Guerra has to be the dude that shows up day in and day out in this lineup and really puts fear in the other team's pitching with guys on base because he's going to hang out one or two guys it, on base. Is it the bees that Guerra can catch in those RBI opportunities? If, if, if Guerra can put it all together, it, it is. But I... I as much as I want to, you know, from a national standpoint, I'm taking LSU because I think that that lineup is the most dangerous lineup yeah. in college baseball today. I think that they have the best hitters in the country and they happen to hit back to back. So it's really tough when you look at that team. Um, but I just, my problem is I just don't know if the Beavers have enough pitching to get those guys out consistently for nine innings. And likewise, though, I don't think that LSU has the pitchers to get the Beavers out for nine innings. So it could be high-scoring affairs, but I think that LSU has more firepower currently. In terms of, in terms of players, I think I watch for Aguero is definitely one, but I definitely think Gavin Turley, too, especially with the performances he's had late in the season. If he carries that over into big performances uh, against, you know, like LSU, Sam Houston, uh, I think that'll be big too for the Beers. I mean, as Bazana said today, like you know, anytime he steps up the play, it's like he can not easily tack on one to four runs, you know, in any given at bat. So especially now, especially now too. Um, and so you know, I think definitely somebody that I'll watch for. And yeah, like as much as I want Oregon State to win, you know. Being being a current student, uh, I definitely think LSU probably might might take this. That that's my gut feeling in the end. Uh, but I feel yeah. like Beavers were all in agreement with the OT guys. I do think he stayed at the end there to decide next week that we decide a winner hosting there in regional. And I'm going to continue to go down the lineup from where you guys were at. Mark, you had Guerra, Ryan, you had Turley. If both of those guys are hitting. A big spot is going to be Dernetti, and if he can piece together base hits to turn the lineup over, and I don't, we don't need big flies. I don't need extra base hits. Uh, don't even need really need hits. <laughs> Just if you can force tough at bats and, and get on base and turn the lineup back to Bazana Forrester. If there's guys on base, to an extent, they're going to want to. They're not going to be able to pitch around those guys as they will be able to if there's nobody on base or if there's two outs. Uh, or something of that sort. So I think it is going to be, we know those guys can perform, so it's going to be big time to see if some of these guys at the bottom of the order can keep producing or produce maybe a little bit of a higher level and, and turn the, the order back to those guys with uh, ducks on the pond with runners in scoring position. Uh, so yeah, I think the Beavers can get all the way to the end. Um, I'm 
I can I can see a world in which they win it. I just, if I had to put a prediction on it, I would probably take LSU. Um, kind of like you hinted at, the offense is just is something to marvel at. And although we noted Oregon State can hang with them, um, I think with some of the struggles we've seen in the depth that we've seen in pitching, if this does go to a full series where the that championship game of the regional gets to game game seven of the regional, um, I, I just don't know where a lot of depth for the Beavers comes in on the arms, especially if it does get into an offensive shootout. LSU is in that same boat, though. If if it goes to a game seven, LSU's not they don't have a ton of arms either with a lot of experience left. Uh especially if they throw Thatcher Hurd on Friday. That means that you're gonna be seeing Ty Floyd on Sunday. And that also really there's not a ton of arms there in LSU. So if it does go to game seven, it's gonna be a toss up, but I, I don't think you're gonna wanna play it where they cap him at five or six and make sure he's okay to go if it gets to a game seven or even a high leverage game six situation, or do they let him go? and try and stay away from that bullpen in what is a very important game to get to the 2-0 and uh, in the regional. So, I don't know, this is, uh, this is why we love what we talk about. This is, uh, it's a big chess match, and, and there's tons and tons of things that can go astray. But thank you, a uh, huge shout-out to Ryan and Mark for taking some time out tonight to come on. Keep your eyes out on both of their socials accounts for everything and Mark at College Baseball Central, uh, because this is... I mean, like I said before, this is the best time of the year, especially for a fun time for us Beaver fans. Uh, so uh, thank you again to you guys. Uh, any any parting words before you head out? Oh, just thank you. Thank you once again for having me on. Uh, you know, I always, always appreciate coming on and always, you know, it's nice to have Mark on as well and talk with you a bit about, about some college baseball. And, and yeah, thanks for having me on. It was a great, great yeah. to come on and talk Beavs. Uh, I know I get to talk a lot of national ball, but I don't get to talk beeps and up. Always, so Kobe. this was really nice to be able to come in here and just talk beeps, especially with Ryan. Yeah, we, we all threw a little bit of 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 a great time. Um, and I look forward to doing things like that more often moving forward, uh, whether that be football, basketball, baseball, or, or really just what have you with Oregon State Athletics. Signing off, and I will talk to you guys next week. Where we'll have a little bit of regional play to break down and hopefully take a look ahead at a super regional. All right, have a good weekend. Go Beavers! Go Beavers!